Well, with, with this sermon this morning, I close out two decades of preaching Easter sermons on Easter Sunday. 29 years. I started preaching when I was 10 years old. Okay, let's be honest. The resurrection is more believable than that lie, isn't it? In any case, for some reason this year, the Lord has not placed in my heart a compulsion to put before you many convincing proofs, as Luke calls them, in the book of Acts, that Jesus is resurrected. Neither will I give you forensic evidence to prove it, nor will I offer medical evidence to prove to you that on the cross Jesus did not merely swoon, but that he actually died there. That's the normal And that's the expected fare for Easter Sunday morning sermons. But this morning, the longing that the Lord has put on my heart is just to put before your eyes and put before my eyes, Jesus. Because seeing Jesus enkindles faith where there was none. Seeing Jesus rekindles faith that perhaps has been flickering or lying dormant for many years or unchallenged. But I know that seeing Jesus changes everything. And so it was for the group of women who made their way to the tomb, mourning and weeping on Easter Sunday. They made their way there in sadness. And then, and then they saw the resurrected Jesus and seeing Jesus changes everything. It produced faith in them. It produced joy in them, and they fell at his feet and worshiped him. The disciples were locked away after the crucifixion, weeping and mourning and quaking in fear, and then they saw Jesus, and their fear was turned to faith Thomas put his finger in the nail prints on Jesus' hand. He put his hand on Jesus' nail-pierced side. And he said, my Lord and my God. Seeing Jesus changes everything. And the longer I live, I'm telling you, the longer I live, the more I want to see Jesus myself and the more I want to put the glories of Christ before you. Because seeing the glory of the resurrected person of Christ changes everything. Did I mention that? That prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said that to attempt to set forth the glories of Christ with words is like holding a candle up to the sun. And that's how I feel right now, totally inadequate to set before you the glories of Christ with my words. But I'm up for the challenge. You know why? You want some good news? Here's the good news. The spirit of the living, resurrected Christ is with us. He will give us aid. Jesus says this of his spirit. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so I know that the Spirit of Christ is going to help us this morning to see the glory of the risen Lord, because he, above all others, knows that we must see Jesus. 
because seeing Jesus changes everything. Our scripture passage for this morning is from the book of Revelation, the fifth chapter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can use a Bible in the pew or simply look in your bulletin because the passage is printed there. So however you want to look at the word of the, God, uh, the Lord, do so now. And when you found your place, let's stand together so we might hear read the word of the living God. This is the vision that the Lord gave to the Apostle John, and this is the word of the Lord, Revelation 5, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals." Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, now once again, we depend on you to fulfill your promise to us that where your word is read, where it is heard, in that place is your blessing. Spirit of God, be our teacher this morning. Open our eyes so that we might see the glory of Christ. And as we see, change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, seeing Jesus is always God's goal for us. Looking to Jesus, it's always the answer. Jesus has always been God's plan to renovate, renew, restore, redeem this world and the lives and the hearts of the people who live in it. And so it's little wonder that the prophet Isaiah, with exalted language, gives to us these words from God himself, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. God says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. Behold, that's the command that goes out from God to his people as he presents to us his servant, his son, the Messiah. Behold, because God knows our eyes wander. Our eyes lust after everything, it seems, but the things of God and God himself. Our eyes wander and look for hope and comfort and peace and safety everywhere. But in the things of God and in God himself. And so with this emphatic, attention-getting word, God says, and I can almost hear him snap his fingers, Behold my servant. Behold him. Look at him. Keep looking at him. Why? Why must we look? Because God says of his servant, 
his now risen and reigning son, the son upon whom God himself now fixes his gaze. He says, he is one in whom my soul delights. Think about it. The greatest pleasure that God experiences, his greatest satisfaction is looking at his son. When Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven. Behold, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If the son is the delight of the father, what do you imagine? that the Father might have for you and for me this resurrection, this Easter Sunday morning as we look at Christ. Let me tell you, the greatest blessing I can bring to you, the greatest gift I can offer to you is to put Christ before our eyes because seeing Christ changes everything. And so it was. For the Apostle John, in our passage For this morning, look in verse 4. By his own admission, John says that he was weeping loudly. Such was the depth of his grief. What will bring comfort to John's grieving heart? What will dry John's tears? The same thing that comforted the hearts of the women, the hearts of the disciples, the same thing that dried their tears on Easter Sunday morning. One word. Look in verse 5. The elders came to John and said, Weep no more. What? Behold. And when John looks, who does he see? Jesus. His friend looking like the Lion of Judah in verse 5 and the Lamb that was slain in verse 6. Behold Him. What a perfect bookend this is at the end of a very long life. The Apostle John is over 90 years old when he has this vision. And the first word John ever heard The first time he ever saw Jesus, John the Baptist pointed Jesus out. And what word did he say? What? Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, and now John is beholding the Lamb again. What a kindness. What a grace of the Lord to remind John that Jesus is always the unchanging answer. John could have believed otherwise after such a long time. Before this vision, it had been over 60 years since these two friends had seen each other with their physical eyes. That would be like 1962 for us. And three quarters of you all weren't even born in 1962. And so what do we say? Well, you know, things change. John knew 60 years ago the hope and the help that was found in looking to Jesus. 60 years ago, John had looked upon the faces of those people desperately broken by sin who in turn looked at the face of Jesus 
and had their sins forgiven. Those who had looked to Jesus and had their broken bodies healed. Those outcasts who were kept at more than an arm's length away by everyone in their culture. They looked at the face of Jesus and they saw a countenance that said, You are welcome. Come near. John saw in all their faces the hope and the help found in Jesus. John had seen how seeing Jesus changes everything and nothing has changed. John had seen how seeing Jesus changes everything and nothing has changed. Even after many years. And at the end of a very long life, God's answer is still the same. Behold. Let me tell you this. There is no progressing beyond this. Jesus is the end point of all things. It'll never get any better than Jesus. Scripture says he is the alpha, the beginning, and Jesus is the omega, the end. There is nothing antiquated. There is nothing medieval about believing and looking to Christ. You can't say, well, that's so 2010. Please hear me. Hear me in this. Progressive cultures come and they go. Repressive cultures come and they go. Oppressive cultures come and they go. But guess what stays the same throughout them all? Guess what has outlasted them all? Guess what has overcome them all? The answer is always Jesus, right? Looking to Jesus, seeing him, that need never changes. Is our being here this morning not evidence of that? Over 2,000 years later, we're still joyful. Are you joyful this morning? Are you celebrating this morning? That celebration? <laughs> Balconies, that celebration? Are you celebrating this morning? Yes. Are you hopeful this morning? Yes. And not apart from anything that any of us find within ourselves, and you know it's true. It's because we who have faith in Christ look beyond ourselves because there's nothing here. We look beyond ourselves and we look to Christ, and seeing Jesus changes everything. And I certainly don't know all of you who are here this morning. I don't know whether you're believers visiting from out of town. If this is your first time in church, I don't know that. But I hope that one of the most compelling truths that commends the reality of Christ to you and that he really is alive is our joy. It's real. It's deep. It's not of us. Did you hear the singing this morning? Did you hear it? Have you heard anything more joyful in a long time? Our joy is in Christ as we fix our eyes on him. John's tears are still dried. His fears are still assuaged and his heart is still comforted by beholding Jesus. And so it is for you and me. And that's why I'm compelled to put Jesus before us this morning. Now you need to know this. I had a perfectly outlined, perfectly alliterated sermon ready for you. It was going to be Jesus the lion, Jesus the lamb, and Jesus the one who loves. 
Now, if you're from Redeemer, you know the end of this story, don't you? I'm not going to do it, am I? How many L's do you think that we will consider this morning? Just one. Just one. And so I hear a, ser- a-, a series in the works. But you know what? One, just one is enough to give us hope this morning and bring us change. And so here's the one. Behold Jesus, the Lion of Judah. So what adjectives should we use to describe a lion? Powerful is the first one that comes to mind. And that answers a great need for all of us here this morning, does it not? We need power. We need power to change. We need power to overcome. We feel powerless before our sin. Sometimes we need strength and power, we feel, just to get through another day. We need power to survive in the presence of those who have more power and wield more power than we do. Another adjective. How about brave? We need that as well, don't we? Too many things are coming at us from too many directions. And those things fill us with fear from pandemics to politicians. We often lack bravery to speak for fear of being canceled. We often lack the bravery to speak the name of our glorious risen Savior and the good news of salvation found in Him because in 2022, we fear we might be charged with a hate crime. But listen, seeing Jesus changes everything. And so I say to you, and I say to me this morning, behold, the Lion of Judah, powerful, courageous, fearsome, majestic. He is no pitiful, pleading, effete Savior. Look in verse 5. And what does it say that the Lion has done He has conquered. He has won in the face of every obstacle. He is the victor. He is the conqueror. He is the overcomer. He is the prevailer. Jesus stood up to his tempter, Satan, in the wilderness. And who won? Jesus won. And Satan went slinking away. And according to Scripture, he was waiting for a more opportune time to tempt Jesus once again. And surely, the enemy thought he had found that moment as Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating drops of blood. But the enemy could not defeat the power or the resolve of our Savior to do the will of his Father And to go to the cross to pay for our sins. When Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Surely this was Satan's moment of victory. Jesus is giving up on his Father. But no, Jesus stayed on the cross. And then something happened. Jesus died. He didn't come down from the cross in fear and pain of death. He did not call 10,000 angels to rescue him. And God 
did not intervene on behalf of the Son in whom he took such great delight. No, Jesus died. He really died. And perhaps Satan thought this was his moment of victory. A dead Jesus, still dead after three days. But then the ground began to rumble, didn't it? And the ground began to shake. And the stone rolled away. Death could not keep him prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph for his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain. And so Jesus took death. The most powerful weapon that Satan uses against us. And in his lion-like jaws, Jesus shook death like a rag doll. That's what Jesus did with death. Behold, the powerful lion of Judah. I don't know what victories you need in your life this morning. I know you need them. I'm not going to attempt to guess at what they are or offer a list of possibilities of what they might be. I don't know where you feel weak, where you feel defeated, where you feel powerless. I don't know where you feel that you need to conquer. All I know is that you must look to the powerful, risen, living Savior, the Lion of Judah. He is able. Look to Him. Since there is no equip hour, (laughs) following the service this morning, I must detain you for just a little longer because I want to take just a moment or two to share some Jesus power scripture with you because if I know anything, I know this. Your hope is not going to come from my words. Please imagine being me. My hope doesn't come from my words. Our hope, all of our hope, comes from the word of the living God. So hear this. John 1, 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Christ has the power to create all things out of nothing. That's true power. That's inimitable power. Hebrews seven twenty five. therefore he is able to save Forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Power to save through the powerful prayers that he offers even in this moment for you and for me. That's the power of the Lion of Judah. John 16, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Power to overcome. And guess what? It's the same word in John 16, translated conquer. Here in verse 5, Christ has the power to conquer the world. Look to him, the Lion of Judah. Listen, nothing in this world is more powerful than he. Do you believe it? You must believe it. He's the line of Judah. 2 Timothy 1, verse 10. 
tells us that Jesus, our Savior, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You fear death. I know you do. All people fear death. Don't. Christ is bigger. Christ is more powerful than death. He defeated it. So Christ isn't afraid of it. Christ isn't intimidated by it. He's going to see you. He's going to meet you in death and see you through it. Is that good news? Likewise, Colossians 2 tells us that on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Look to Christ. He's not dead. He's risen. He's living. He's powerfully triumphing right now for you and for me. And what about the future? You fear the future, don't you? We fear the future now, don't we? Our world is crazy. Have you noticed? Our world is crazy. We don't know what's coming next. And maybe we're a little afraid. I know I get fearful, but guess what? When I stop looking at the Lord and stop looking around me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to this. Then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I promise you this this morning. This world is not going to hell in a handbasket. This world is not going to hell in a handbasket. You know why? Because it belongs to God. And Christ will deliver this world to the Father, beautifully restored and renewed and redeemed. Listen to this. I keep saying that a lot this morning, don't I? Listen to this. There is no such thing as a post-Christian world. We hear about that, don't we? Oh, it's a post-Christian culture. That era will never be. In fact, all history is moving toward the eternal, endless, everlasting kingdom of Christ because Christ is the powerful line of Judah. George Handel had a handle on this. Did he not? Because he saw Christ. It's difficult to find a more beloved, better known song in all the world than the Hallelujah Chorus. Orchestras play it. Choruses sing it. Peopled by those who love music but don't know Christ. Still, because he's the line of Judah, they proclaim his truth. And what inspired Handel? He tells us. We don't have to guess. Before he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus, he said this, I saw heaven before me and the great God himself. I think like John, he must have seen Christ, the line of Judah. And so he writes and we sing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
and he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Can you say it with me? Hallelujah. Look to Jesus. He's powerful, and seeing him changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through the power of your Spirit, we pray now that you would give us eyes to see. May we see the beauty, the glory, the splendor, the majesty, the omnipotence, the power of our reigning and ruling and risen and resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For we pray that you would do these things for us in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.